is sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Well, Bruce Orr is creating a link for us between people who, as earlier was said, had animus, who were, in fact, desperate to stop candidate Trump from being President Trump, both before and after he became the president-elect. Since day one, this administration has taken attack after attack on women. It is completely false that uh, some of these other federally funded types of health centers can absorb the amount of patients that come to Planned Parenthood, for specifically for the services that we provide, which are the well woman exams, the cancer screenings, the contraceptive screening. And now, Stacey Washington. I hope you guys know when you're being snowed. That's what part of that audio was that you just heard there. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. American Family Radio can be found at AFR.net. AFA.net is American Family Association. And Urban Family Talk is where you can find the urban part of the network. And it's so fantastic to be with you today. It's hump day and it's rainy. I don't know if, you know, wherever you are in the country right now, you might be having some really, really nice balmy weather. But here in St. Louis, it's a little warm and it's very, very rainy. And I'm glad to see the rain because our gardens have been all dried out because of the uh, just continual heat, but it's also a little bit on the gloomy side. And so, yeah, let's kind of talk about this morning. This morning, after attending, it was kind of like our first day of uh, Moms in Prayer at school, and I was, I was so... I was so grateful. We were sitting there together and the women who lead the moms in prayer chapter at my kids school, they were leading us in prayer and they took turns praying. And it was, you know, you, you know, when you're, when you're praying with prayer warriors, you can, you can hear the experience and the way that they pray. And so it was amazing to be there this morning and then to attend chapel and listen to the kids. They had this fantastic speaker. And then afterwards, the kids lead the prayer and worship at our kids' school. They also play the instruments. They also run the audio visuals. So it's just like an evangelical church on Sunday where they have the lyrics up on the screen for you. And all the kids were singing and playing instruments. And then everyone in the gym was standing up. We were all on our feet singing for the part of the the service that was worship. And it was really just a great way to start the day off. And so after that, I had to get, you know, I had to get some some coffee, but not just any coffee. It had to be Caldi's coffee because Caldi's is where it's at. Caldi's is is not like Starbucks. They don't have all these rules and regulations about, you know, we don't want these kind of people here. We don't respect those kind of people. They just they, they, they serve coffee and breakfast food and lunch food. And if you want some, you can just come in and get it. No politics, just coffee and food. And they have some low carb options. Just it's a great, great coffee shop. And it's a St. Louis thing. The people who started it are Missourians and St. Louisans. And so I try to frequent them as much as possible, except when daughter the first is in town and she's, she's going for the Starbucks. And I do that out of, you know, college student. So anyway, I go to the car, the Caldi's that's in the grocery store and the grocery store Caldi's is, it's like my halfway spot. It's like the half house for Caldi's, half, the half, the halfway house for Caldi's because they don't serve the special options and they don't serve any food, but they do have the Caldi's brand of coffee and the, you know, the espresso machine. So I'll go in today and I'm all ready for a latte. I usually order two 12 ounce drinks, one for now, one for later. And 
Instead of being able to get one of those, I couldn't get a cappuccino or anything like that because the machine was down. And so I was flummoxed. First world problem. What do I do? And the barista suggested that I have a cup of regular coffee with some half and half and maybe a a dash of sugar. I was aghast. I asked her if I should perhaps maybe procure a newspaper as well and just sit on the side like a psychopath with no screen or device anywhere near me and just drink straight coffee and read a newspaper. And she said, just like the 90s. Yep, you could. And I just went ahead and ordered some coffee, some regular coffee, because I had to have some. And I put some half and half in it and I drank it and I survived. And I'm I'm here to tell about it right here on the show. Um, So, yeah, I know if you're feeling like, wow. That was a saga. It was. It was a saga for the ages. But I made it. I made it through. And now I'm here with you. And I'm so excited. So today on the program, we have Zach Morgan, attorney, a good friend of our associate producer, Demetrius Minor. And he's also a good friend of mine now. I got a chance to meet and uh, have the commune and fellowship with he and some others of like mind in Washington, D.C. at the Trump uh, International D.C. Hotel. We had dinner there at the really fancy five-star restaurant. And Zach is a real, he's, he's a legal aficionado, obviously, an expert, but he's also someone that he, you can count on him for, in addition to his legal analysis, a, a different opinion, still conservative, but very, very much on the kind of leading edge for thought when it comes to different options, different solutions to problems. So we're going to be speaking with him today about um, the IRS and their data collection practices. And this is important because we are all interactors with the IRS, all of us. And so this is going to be a great interview. That's first segment. Second segment, remember yesterday I was pumping this interview with Ann Coulter. Well, we have rescheduled that for today. So she's coming on in the third segment of today's show, first hour. And then in hour two, we're going to speak to Thomas Jipping. Thomas Jipping is a Heritage Foundation uh, Deputy Director of the Edwin Meese III Center for Legal and Judicial Studies. He's a senior legal fellow there, and he's going to give us some reaction and analysis on the SCOTUS nomination for Kavanaugh because those hearings begin next week. And we want to be really fully informed before we turn on our C-SPAN and start listening to these people. We want to be able to discern the lies from the truth, and he's going to come on and help us with that. And then and we're going to talk about the 3% lie from Planned Parenthood. And there's something really important about this that we have to discuss and know. This has to be something that we know by heart that we can rattle off the truth. And the reason for that is because if we don't know the answer, the reason why we don't believe that only 3% of Planned Parenthood's actions are actually abortion, if we can't explain that, then we can't defend it. The Bible talks, many, many, many spots in the Bible talks about being able to defend the reason that you have your faith. Also, taking wise counsel, also consulting with experts, also seeking wisdom. This falls into all of those categories because we have to be informed in order to fight the lies. So we'll talk about that in hour two. Right now, I want to get into uh, just a, a tad of this corruption at the FBI and the DOJ. And it's GOP Senator Lindsey Graham, and he's accusing the left of ignoring the corruption at the DOJ and the FBI. Now, remember, the left used to hate the FBI. It used to be one of their primary sources of chagrin. They used to hate it and everything about it. They systematically went about defanging the CIA and the FBI, making it so that they couldn't do a lot of the things that you would have an organization like the CIA or the FBI for, counterterrorism, covert ops, things that 
you know, it's not fun stuff to talk about around the dinner table. It's not the good stuff that you would want to broach as a topic at a cocktail party, but it's the kind of stuff that has to be done because evil people are out there doing what they're going to do. And if we don't have a counter to that, then evil people get to do whatever they want. So in interest of making sure that we could have those operations, Republicans have always been staunch supporters of the FBI and the DOJ. And now it turns out that the FBI and DOJ have been weaponized against the political right in this country. So I want to listen to number one, and then we'll talk about that some. Just imagine if the Republican Party had uh, hired a foreign agent to go to Russia to get dirt on Hillary Clinton, and they used it to get a warrant and never told the court about it. Uh, it'd be front page story everywhere. That's pretty corrupt when the mm-hmm. two FBI agent and the uh, uh, U.S. attorney, per, I mean, the uh, DOJ lawyer, uh, it's our job to stop Trump. Can you imagine what would happen if it's our job to stop Clinton? Senator, yeah. uh, good point. Senator, good when, point. That, when those emails were found on Anthony Weiner's laptop, there's reports now that they didn't look at 700,000 emails. They looked at about a tenth of them, 3,000. And Peter Strzok ultimately decided what would be looked at. How do you feel about that? Well, Peter Strzok uh, clearly was in the tank for Clinton, hated Trump. Uh, no American would get the same treatment she did. If you were charged or suspected of this kind of a... Uh, uh, misconduct, you'd be in jail now. Uh, an interview not under oath, uh, a couple lawyers who really didn't ask hard questions, and you pivot to Russia before Clinton's done. Uh, they had a bias against Trump for Clinton. It was obvious. They gave a, a politically corrupt document to get a warrant on an American citizen. This dossier to this day is still unsubstantiated. They never told the court that Mike, uh, Christopher Steele was on the payroll of the Democratic Party. Russia was involved in our election. Uh, they were involved in terms of developing the, this, this dossier. So, again, and we've, we've went over this and we'll continue to go over it because I don't think the Democrats are going to change their stripes anytime soon. The people on the left are not going to stop holding one side of the political aisle to one standard and the other side of the political aisle to the other standard. The fact that Paul Manafort can be prosecuted for the things that he's done while Hillary Clinton has an open investigation into her possibly laundering $814 million of foreign money into the Clinton Foundation and not a peep about it. The fact that we found no evidence of wrongdoing, there's been nothing presented to us as the American people of there being uh, anything done wrong by the Trump Foundation, but they're investigating that in New York City, but they haven't investigated the Clinton Foundation. Again, huge double standard. So what Lindsey Graham is pointing out, it's a problem, but it has to be a problem for all of us. Regardless of political party, we have to be interested, deeply interested in seeing justice done from all corners. We have to, and, and as Christians, we have to pray for that. We have to pray for God to release more of his justice because he is a God of, he's a holy God of justice and, and honor and that is his way and that we want that seen and done in our country. We have to pray for that. Um, and so, ah, okay. Well, um, it says we, so let's go to the phones. Um, we have Scott Jennings from the GOP national committee. Welcome to Stacy on the right. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Sure. I think we may have our wires crossed because I am looking at my calendar for today. My producer says you're scheduled. Today is Wednesday, August the 29th, and we do not have you on the calendar for today. Let me look and see if it's... Nope, not tomorrow. 
Now, um, I'm not sure who I'm not sure who scheduled you, and we probably shouldn't discuss that on the air. But um, what was the topic that you were coming on to discuss? Well, I think we were going to talk about uh, Senator McCain and the news of the day. So I'm happy to talk about any any anything under the sun that you want to talk about, Stacey. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about the elections from last night. I'm not interested oh, in talking about Senator yes. McCain. So, um, yeah. what 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 is your take on what happened last night? It was historic across the board. All of the special elections uh, last night. Yeah, last night uh, I think the Republicans actually came out of the evening in pretty good shape. I'll start in Arizona where there was a primary for uh, the Senate seat being vacated by the retiring uh, Jeff Flake. Uh, I think the most electable Republican, Martha McSally, won the primary uh, and did it rather easily. And she's already kind of shifted into general election mode by launching some ads against the Democrat, Kirsten Sinema, uh, on national security issues, which I think have been really effective right out of the gate. So Republicans, I think, got what they wanted in McSally uh, out there. And in Florida... Well, can I just in- stop you for a second? With McSally, sure. I've seen already some emails circulating that she's just as bad as Senator McCain was on immigration, that she's an open borders nut like he was. Is that the case? Uh, my, my understanding of her record is that she voted with Donald Trump's agenda 98% of the time uh, as a member of the United States House of Representatives, that's pretty darn good. I don't think. Okay, you, uh, I, I wanted to clear that up like because that based on a based on absolutely borders. Now, Cinema is one of the most liberal Democrats in the House and is absolutely an open borders abolish ICE uh, Democratic candidate. So I think I think we've got a good contrast there. Well, I'm interested in the the candidate who is most likely to follow the president's agenda on uh, immigration. And obviously defunding Planned Parenthood. Those are two priorities, not just yep. for, for me as a host or an American, but for the listening audience. Um, it's things that they're interested in. I apologize that we are at, at the, the, the 19 point, which is where we have a break. And when we come back, we have a guest already scheduled. But what I'd like to do is once you and I say goodbye, could you get with my producer, Devin, and let's get you back on the calendar. Maybe Thursday or Friday, if you have time, we'd love to talk to you and get the rest of the breakdown. Yeah, thanks a lot. Take care. All right. It's been great to talk to you. So we'll be back with Zach Morgan, staff attorney for the Institute for Free Speech, and more Stacey on the Right right after this. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You know, the very first day in Israel, when we're staying in Jerusalem, we go to the Mount of Olives. And it's there at the Mount of Olives we look out over the old city of Jerusalem. It's a spectacular sight. You've seen it in pictures before, but it's another thing to actually be there as we walk down from the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane and we pray there. It's going to be a wonderful time with brothers and sisters from around the country visiting the Holy Land, the land of Jesus. If you want information on this March 14th through the 22nd tour, just call us and we'll send you a brochure. Call 1-800-FAMILIES, F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S, option 5, and leave us your name and your address and we'll mail you a brochure. Or if you want to simply go online at twholyland.com, everything's there, twholyland.com. 
Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. One of our children was never a very good liar. Karen and I could always tell when this child was not telling the truth. On the other hand, I remember sitting at my desk with a guy looking me straight in the eye and telling me one of the most convincing lies you could imagine. And I believed every word. But over time, behavior tends to tell the truth about even the most determined liars. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 8 says, The way of a guilty man is crooked, but as for the pure, his conduct is upright. Let that soak in. The way of a guilty man is crooked, but as for the pure, his conduct is upright. There are some implications I want to suggest to you from this verse. Number one, our lives and choices are an indication of our integrity. What we do, how we approach life, our ways, not just our words, but our ways, our character, how we carry ourselves, they show who and what we really are. Secondly, a crooked life is a product of a guilt-ridden soul. You have to keep slipping and sliding and doing what is wrong because you're guilty. The third implication is that a godly life is a product of a clean and clear conscience. If you don't have anything to hide, if what you're saying is accurate, your life is telling the truth about who you are and what you say and what you have done, and there's nothing between, as the old hymn writer says, the soul and the Savior, then you have a clear conscience. Uh, Here's what I want you to remember today. Take care of whatever is causing the guilt you may be experiencing. Take care of the root of it. Make it right. Life is too short to live in the shadows. You've been listening to Legacy Moment with Crawford Loritz, pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in Roswell, Georgia, and heard on the weekly program Living a Legacy. For more information, go to livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org. Legacy Moment is a production of Moody Radio. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Stick with us. You've got live radio here from the heartland, and we're speaking to you, citizens of America. Uh, glad to be with you and really excited to speak to our next guest, Zach Morgan, staff attorney for Institute for Free Speech and good friend of Demetrius and now myself. Zach, thanks for joining the show. Hey, glad to be here, Stacey. Hey, it's good to talk to you. I'm, I'm, I'm like a little bit flabbergasted after the election last night, all of these like groundbreaking things that occurred last night. And then this morning's news cycle has been just chock full of interesting little tidbits from all of the campaigns. And so now I'm looking at um, your article here and you're talking about a lawsuit to make the IRS collect more of our data. Uh, yes, uh, it, which is, and it's being brought by a person who's trying to run for higher office, which is surprising. You would think you'd, you'd not want more involvement of the IRS uh, in our day-to-day existence. But yes, um, what, what's happened is uh, the Trump administration just recently promulgated what's called a revenue procedure. Yay, exciting tax law. Um, but the long and short of it was the IRS was collecting a lot of bulk donor information that it didn't need for the purposes of revenue administration. So essentially this information was just sort of getting stocked up on the IRS's servers, but by a quirk of federal law, certain state actors could request that donor information if they wanted to. Uh, and the, the administration said, you know, we don't need this own information. It's dangerous leaving it on these servers. 
uh, a few years ago, you may remember this, the human rights campaign got the National Organization of Marriages uh, donor list. This is how they got it. It was this information that had been stored by the IRS. And despite a monopoly of civil and criminal sanctions, some presumably not exactly friendly to the National Organization of Marriage-minded person uh, gave that information to the human rights campaign in violation of uh, all sorts of federal law. So the administration essentially said, we don't need this. There's no reason to have it. And this deeply upset Governor uh, Steve Bullock, apparently, in Montana. And he filed a lawsuit uh, using a bunch of administrative law arguments. But the basic uh, premise is that he really liked the old system, whereby he could sort of surreptitiously go to the Internal Revenue Service, get information about who was giving to organizations in Montana, and then use that for presumably legal purposes. But one way or the other, he, he certainly uh, is upset about it and has literally made a federal case about it. Okay, I'm I'm, st- I'm just trying to figure out how in how in Sam Hill we are at a place in America where people are suing to give the IRS more power. Have have we I, not been awake during the Tea Party scandal targeting? You know, they've just paid three point six million dollars to organizations that didn't get tax exempt status because of their political ideology during the Obama administration. And now under the Trump administration, which is supposed to be slavery for all and also misogyny and racism and et cetera, et cetera, you want to give the IRS more power? I mean, look, Steve Bullock is presumably he's, – he's contemplating – this is public reporting. He's contemplating running for president in 2020. If, I'm a, if, if I was, a, if I was a, a Democratic activist, I would be happy that the Trump administration disempowered its capacity to store donor information for left-wing causes. Uh, this was the Nixon administration, uh, and, 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 and obviously there was, a recent, there was more recent abuses. But presidents who wish to embarrass, harass, cause trouble for their political opponents have often gone to the, uh, to the tax services. And one of the things that the, the current administration can no longer do is try to harass people who, uh, by figuring out they gave to the NAACP, or the Sierra Club, or any number of, or, or labor unions who are also exempted under this. Uh, it, it, is, it is shocking to me, but apparently that's, that's the moment we are politically right now, which is where people are applauding the forfeiture of privacy rights to the Internal Revenue Service. So what do we do? I mean, he's, he's filed a lawsuit. Is that lawsuit going to go anywhere? Or do, does someone like some or other think tank or organization need to file a countersuit to stop him from giving them back their power? Or are they just doing this because Trump did it and everything Trump does is bad? Uh, well, it, it, it's actually very easy to uh, to play a lawyer on the radio. The answer is it depends, uh, always. <laughs> <laughs> but in this instance, uh, the, the Internal Revenue Service is going to defend this. Uh, I, 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 I do not anticipate that it will go very far. It, I, I don't want to say it's, it's, it's a stunt or frivolously filed. Uh, there, there is a, a patina of a legal argument to it, but essentially, the there's a there's a federal statute you know, the, passed by Congress, uh, which gives the Secretary of the Treasury the ability to quote relieve any class of organizations from filing uh, any information he determines that uh, uh, that are not necessary for the efficient administration of the internal revenue laws end quote, and. Here, that's what happened. There was a finding. The IRS issued a revenue procedure saying this. And so this is, this is completely – this is not a situation where the administrative state has gone awry. The administrative state is operating precisely 
pursuant to instructions and, and powers that's been given by Congress, which is how the system's supposed to work. Uh, I, I obviously, I, I don't want to go into the, into the, the politics of the moment, but I, I, I do think that when you say you have sued the IRS and you have sued an unpopular president, I think <laughs> are probably good applause lines. So I have to imagine that goes into political calculation as well. I think <laughs> and another problem, and another problem too, is that this, uh, there's been a sort of popular, it is a very populist take to say that what you're doing is fighting dark money. And if you look at Governor Bullock's public communications about this lawsuit, that's really what he's couched it in. You know, that we're trying to, to stop the flood of dark money. But that's uh, really not even remotely related to what's going on here. The, the organizations that were filing this donor information with the IRS are, are uh, protected by federal law from ever having to reveal who their donors are because we so heavily prize civil society in this country. So now that the IRS isn't holding that information in servers where it's vulnerable to hacking and doxing, uh, that doesn't change whether or not this information was ever supposed to be made public. So what I would, what I am wary of is people taking uh, in a politically fraught terms like dark money and then using these things in order to really encroach against First Amendment rights that have really nothing to do with politics or dark money or even campaign finance. Hmm. Well, I, I guess for me, so I, I kind of wish that, and obviously it's, it's like a unicorn wish because I wish that we, we wouldn't even need to have privacy and donations because people would be proudly supporting organizations and it wouldn't need to be a secret because you wouldn't be shunned at, you know, for, for voting or, or using your money at, cause money is political speech. It's first amendment. Like I, I see it that way. Instead of seeing Absolutely. money as something that should be regulated, you know, we, we, our money's already too regulated, not only by the IRS, but by all of these campaign finance laws that really make it possible for people to kind of silence you so that you have to use your money in secret. You have to sneakily donate to this or that, and you don't want people to know. I, I, I feel like if we were doing this the way the founders wanted it, I would proudly be giving to organizations and so would you. And so would people that I know that oppose me politically. They would give to Planned Parenthood. They wouldn't mind anybody finding out because they would be proudly doing that. But that's not the oh, case. And it's mostly absolutely. conservatives who are suffering from that, not not liberals. Like liberals are proudly giving to Planned Parenthood, but conservatives who want to see traditional marriage are kind of doing it under the table and hoping not to be found out because of the backlashes. Uh, I, I think that I, Justice Thomas's dissent in the Citizens United case, in particular, goes into this. How uh, people sort of blithely suggest that, well, you know, there's nothing to be afraid of with disclosure, and, and then Thomas's dissent goes into just how virulent um, a lot of private actors were—not not even state sanctioned, but private actors were against people who gave money to support Proposition Eight, which uh, in, you know, in 2008 that was a, a non-controversial position. Uh, and I, I absolutely agree with you. It would be nice if people were rational adults and we all engaged in, in conversations in the public square the way, you know, John Stuart Mill would have probably liked this. He, he talked about that in, in, in On Liberty. He has this uh, bit where he talks about secret ballots are, are horrible because you, you should absolutely be proud to stand up in front of all of your neighbors and declare exactly who you voted for. So we shouldn't have a secret ballot. And, and I mean, just you know, 200 years of the political process in the United States has demonstrated that that's just not how that works. Uh, people aren't rational about uh, about politics, and that's unfortunate. But the, I, I absolutely agree with you. The, re- the response to that is not to extinguish First Amendment rights. 
uh, it's for us to you know, try to rebuild civil society and, and, and civil conversations with one another, which is something that can be done you know, in the private sphere and, and by uh, people acting as examples. Yeah. Um, and I also want to clarify, because I've had a few people reach out to me about the whole, and we're going to be talking about this later in the show, but I did just say you should be proud to donate to Planned Parenthood. People are proudly donating to them. But there are people out there who really take offense to uh, people categorizing Planned Parenthood supporters as being pro-abortion. And I'm going to get into some details and facts later in the program that kind of uh, really flush that out so we understand what we're talking about. But I would never be proud to donate to Planned Parenthood, even when I was a Democrat and I was okay with abortion. I never thought it was something good that everyone should be able to do. I thought it was something that was necessary because we had to have choice for women. I've since come to my senses and I have clarity on the issue. But it it should be that you should be ashamed of donating to an organization that extinguishes the lives of human people. But because it's the wrong thing to do and it's morally repugnant, not as it is with people oppressing those who support traditional marriage because they actually support something that's biblically based and it's a religious viewpoint that they hold sincerely. And I think we've lost all of our way on that. Like we can't even when you say people are they're easily triggered with politics, we've gotten even beyond what I consider to be kind of rough, like remember when George Bush was president and they used to say, he's a wild cowboy and he's unintelligent. He can barely talk. And he, you know, all the things they used to say about him. I thought that was really beyond the pale, but we're so far beyond that. That all looks like sweet talk now. Uh, Yes. I would would have to say that the civic discourse in the country is kind of broken down. And and part of that is, and that that is unfortunately reinforcing, but what it, what it does, uh, what it does sort of compel is one of the protections of the First Amendment is the right for uh, Americans to freely associate. And they, in 1958, in, uh, in the case of uh, NAACP versus Alabama, which I know I, I always bring up when I'm on your show, but it, it, it's a cornerstone First Amendment opinion, where it says the, the right to freely associate includes the right for people to privately gather, uh, even if what they want to do is affect public policy. And, you know, there's good reason for this, right? I mean, King George would have loved to know the donor list of the Committees of Correspondence. And one of the ways in which we, we actually have a, a vibrant civil discourse in this country is by you know, having that thick belt of civil society that exists between individuals and the state. And, and the thicker that is, I mean, you, you, you mentioned you, you personally came around on the, on the question of abortion. That, that, that's possible in this country when there are many organizations speaking their ideas, and those ideas are competing in what Justice Holmes called the marketplace of ideas, where people are being won over by, by debate and argument. If we focus instead on, you know, like uh, the individual donors to certain causes and try to harass them and shame them, what we're really doing is we're, we're trying to make it impossible to have certain political beliefs in, in public or, or in private. And that's just, again, this is a power, that's a power that governments uh, typically abuse. <laughs> And that's one of the reasons why we really need to be cautious about it. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I, I, I'm sure Governor Bullock wants wants donor information for what he believes are good reasons to enforce charitable laws in Montana. But, I mean, as we saw with the, the lowest learner situation with the, with the IRS, it is not that difficult for these things to be abused. And I think it's somewhat telling that Governor Bullock wants to get this information through a lawsuit in federal court from a life-tenure judge 
and doesn't want to create his own system of Montana to collect donor information directly from Montanans that he would then look over directly in his office that would be susceptible to Montana to Montana public disclosure laws against government officials, possibly. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he knows that he doesn't want to deal with the, the public backlash to that, I would imagine. And mm-hmm. so I, I, this, we, uh, this is one of those things where I think we just need to... I would like the civic discourse to be better, but in, uh, at the very least, we need to be very cautious about um, criminalizing political privacy. I agree. And I think one of the things that that should come from this is, you know, for people who live in Montana, um, you know, this this is not an election issue. This is a a privacy issue. If you're a Montana listener, you should be um, reaching out to your your governor and finding out why he's doing this. The best uh, answer to something like this is for more people who this elected official is held accountable to, his voters, for more of his voters to ask him exactly why are you doing this and what makes you think this is a good idea? And why are you wasting your time on this instead of issues that relate directly to Montanans that, that are governance issues that really are problems for us? It seems like you're wasting your time here. Maybe you're not the best one to do this job. And usually that's a great wake-up call for uh, elected officials that they're being held accountable by their voters. And they, and they often will back off of these kind of radical uh, ideas. Yeah, that's what the way the system's supposed to work. Uh, public officials are supposed to engage with the public. The public is supposed to respond, and some of that response happens through civic organization. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, and we should we should we should absolutely encourage that. Um, uh, you know, as much flourishing of conversation and political dialogue as as, as humanly possible. Because I think uh, to, to your point about the sort of breakdown in civic discourse or that you mentioned earlier, circling back to that, the more people realize that, that people, quote-unquote, on the other side, whatever that may be for you, these are, these are also just people. <laughs> they're, they're complicated, good, well-meaning Americans. And uh, we, should just, we, we should remember that common, that, that common bind at the end of things. And, mm. that, uh, and while we want to have a, a vibrant civil society, we want to have a productive political system, we want to protect the Constitution, uh, people are people and they should be forgiven of their flaws. Absolutely. I agree. I think if he understood the concerns that we had, he probably would uh, be much more willing to reverse. Zach, thank you so much for joining the show today. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for covering this this issue. Staff attorney for Institute for Free Speech. It's great to chat. Thanks, Stacey. All right. Talk again soon. Um, We will have some clarifying remarks about our surprise guest he was not scheduled i've checked with everybody no one remembers scheduling him apparently he's a strategist for paratus and he gave some incorrect information about the record of that candidate in arizona which you know we'll correct but right now we're gonna go to the break when we get back we'll have ann coulter stay right there Part of growing in Christ is learning how to encourage others. In doing so, you always gain strength for your own journey. It's kind of like you can't pray for someone in earnest and remain angry at them. You may not like what they've done, but the presence of God has a way of sifting the wrath right out of you. You can't encourage someone else in your walk and remain numb to the encouraging words yourself. As you encourage others, you begin to see that all things are possible in Christ Jesus. Your obstacles become visibly obtainable. In this world of self-centeredness and all about me, be extraordinary. Don't be the norm. 
Each day, stop and take a me poll to determine just where you are in your walk with the Lord. Encourage your brother or sister in the Lord in that area and watch God do some amazing things in your life. Your deliverance is resting in the power of your tongue. With a heart for the Urban Family, I'm today's Urban Woman, Tony Johnson. Connect with us at UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Netflix continues to ignore the outcry about 13 Reasons Why. The American Family Association, along with Parents Television Council and several other pro-family groups, have reached out to the streaming service, urging the cancellation of their program. Netflix has not even responded to our letter. Instead, they released an even more vile Season 2 and are producing Season 3. Netflix CEO Reed Hastings says their program is engaging and that it fosters discussion of taboo topics like suicide and sexual assault. But at what cost? 14-year-old Anna Bright and several other teens have committed suicide after watching the show. Hastings calls our objections propaganda. Does he feel the profitability of his company is worth more than the lives damaged or lost because of his show? Please sign our petition to Netflix, learn more, and share our action alert when you visit afa.net. And pray Reed Hastings will recognize the dangers of 13 Reasons Why. Donald Trump's America. Justice Department official Bruce Orr ignored Fox's questions as he arrived on Capitol Hill. With the closed-door deposition underway, Republican lawmakers said Orr told his FBI contacts there were issues with the Trump dossier and its author, former British spy Christopher Steele, who had an anti-Trump bias. Sources tell Fox News the evidence suggests the National Security Court was kept in the dark when it authorized a surveillance warrant for Trump campaign aide Carter Page. After the FBI fired Steele as a source over his media contacts, documents show Steele used Orr as a back channel to maintain contact with the Bureau and pass along information. Orr's wife Nellie worked for Fusion GPS on Russia. Lawmakers point to a financial conflict. The Orr deposition concluded after seven hours of grilling. Democrats on the House committees did not attend, leaving the questioning to their staffers and lawyers. On Capitol Hill, Catherine Herridge, Fox News. You can download episodes of Stacey on the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. All right, everybody, welcome back to the program at Stacy on the Right on Twitter and Instagram. StacyOnTheRight.com is where you can subscribe and join in for the weekly newsletter. Right now, it's my pleasure to welcome back to the show Ann Coulter, 12-time New York Times bestselling author. She's an attorney, a political commentator, and one of the expert voices in our country that more people should read so that they could be informed. And thank you for joining us again. Absolutely. Good to talk to you again, Stacy. I'm glad to have you back because now I want to talk about something that Every time I say this to someone, the first thing they ask me is, what, what are you talking about and where did you get that from? Now, it's regular history, regular <laughs> U.S. <wait>. history. <laughs> it's, I, it's kind of astounding, but I hadn't heard it put the way you put it until I was listening to your book on Audible, Adios America. And in that book, you talk about the way that you've got the, the organized left taking civil rights and trying to dull civil rights and the concept of civil rights out to people who are refugees, illegal immigrants, immigrants, visa overstayers, anybody who has even the slightest bit of diversity, quote unquote, 
They take right. the civil rights history of Americans, white Americans and black Americans, and they push it off on them. But it's something that's unique to us that we share that really it gives us almost a common ancestry. It makes us brothers and sisters and Americans. And I want you to tell the listeners about that. Absolutely right. It drives me crazy. Uh, black Americans white, and white Americans have centuries-old shared history. Um, the reason there was a civil war, and by the way, a lot of black Americans, as I describe in my book, Mugs, um, fought in the Revolutionary War. Um, um, they, the, the, up in Marblehead, the, the general went to, went to the same church with many of um, his black soldiers. Um, there, were, there were times when we did not get along perfectly, and therefore, that's why we have fought a civil war. That's why we have civil rights laws. That's why white Americans have a specific sensitivity when it comes to the issue of race. Um, our fellow Americans, African Americans, got the short end of the stick for a few hundred years. And so, okay, we're spending it all on them. We owe them. Um, but then suddenly the idea of, I mean, for example, when Richard Nixon, who was contrary to, to absolute slanderous lies, was, was absolutely fantastic on civil rights, just beautiful statements. Um, and when he forced the, the trade unions to accept African Americans, it wasn't because, oh, this will enrich the white workers. No, it was because he was saying, you trade unions, you've been discriminating against black people. There are fellow citizens. We're never going to get this right until this ends. Um, so you won't do it on your own. Fine. We're having quotas. Um, and I must say, I, I, I used to be opposed to, to racial quotas. Reading through the history of the civil rights and what Nixon did with it, I thought, no, of course this is right. Um, it's the same way, you know, we'd feel now if we could finally get get liberals to acknowledge that abortion is not in the con Constitution, even Thank though you. I think it's not in the Constitution one way or another. Um, I'm so enraged with them, I could see crossing my arms and saying, now we're finding that right to life right in there in the Constitution. But that's, that's an analogy we can, we can leave aside for the moment. The point is, Nixon didn't say, oh, this would be enriching and diversity. It's, a, it's so good for everyone. What he said was, um, you've been discriminating. We're imposing, we're imposing quotas and timetables until you get this right. Okay, so then um, we got Democrats to pretend to care about African Americans for about six seconds. Then they grabbed the whole civil rights cause and started using it for you know, the abortion ladies for, for an immigrant who arrived last week. Instead of integration, the new word became diversity. So African Americans were just, you know, thrown into a pot along with Chinese and Indians and anyone who arrived yesterday. And <laughs> it's kind of enraging. I, I, I'm sorry if, if, if Indians and Chinese and Thais and Somalis and whomever, I'm sorry if they feel like they've been oppressed, but we weren't doing the oppressing. So go home, address the people who were oppressing you, um, but I see no reason to be having set-asides and affirmative action and, and looking up at the TV screen and, and having someone who arrived Friday saying, well, I notice you have no ties on your evening bro broadcast. <laughs> no. <laughs> right. no, you don't get to make demands on us. Then it becomes nothing but an anti-white program, and particularly an anti-white male program. No. African Americans are different. African Americans are special. I don't even want to hear from African immigrants. Um, you know, what were you doing when, when your, your brethren were being enslaved and brought to America? No, you get nothing. 
Okay, so I, and just you you explain that perfectly, Anne, because you've written all the books. But I I really have to unpack this all the way because this is such a huge big deal on. So Urban Family Talk is one of the networks that we're on. That's Black Urban America across the country, and then we've got our AFR audience, which that's that's all over 180 stations. So we're speaking to a lot of people here. And what I want them to feel is the same thing that I felt when I heard your words. You, all of your books are, most of them are in your own voice. So you're, you're reading your own book. We're driving from vacation in the car. It's me, my husband, and the three kids. When I heard you say that, I paused it on the, 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 the car audio. And I turned and I looked in the back seat, And all three kids are sitting there with their eyes kind of bugged out. And they'd never heard it put that way. And I think that's the case with a lot of Americans. They don't really understand that. We talk about a shared personal history. Most blacks in America, and I still call myself black because I, I've never been to Africa. I didn't immigrate here. I'm descended from slaves on one side and on the other side, freed blacks. So I don't have any history in Africa in my gen- generational line. It starts on the, the docks in, in Charleston, and I'm an American. So that yes, black I American think this whole dash. I mean, I'll use both just for, to, to mix things up. But I think the dash um, something American um, is a way of blending this idea as if black Americans are the same as Somali Americans and Italian Americans and We're not. Chinese Americans. No, no, no. That you're trying to throw in African Americans with people who arrived yesterday. And so most black Americans, according to genealogists and anthropologists who've studied this, most black Americans have up to 40 percent of our DNA comes from other white, Italian, uh, Hispanic, you name it, because of the shared history of Americans, the intermingling, some of it forced through slavery, some of it by choice after the end of slavery. But we are literally related to each other, the white Americans and the black Americans. So we are not just countrymen. We are literally, we're a people group. We are a unique people group that only occurs in this country because of slavery and the history after that. That is something that the liberals are selling off. Yes. And what a wonderful, um, obviously bad part to it, but what a wonderful confluence it ended up producing. I mean, you think about um, Chuck Berry, I'm a huge Grateful Dead fan. Um, blues, it's the, the musical con- combination. It's just the greatest combination. It's like it's like chocolate and peanut butter. It's such a part of American culture. And I'm sorry, I know this probably sounds silly to even mention the Grateful Dead, but no other country could have produced that. No well, other country could have produced blues. It is so American. Or rock and roll, or R and B. Rock and roll, <laughs> absolutely. So this is something that instead of allowing liberals to make us look askance at each other and to say, well, he's just a racist. Well, she's just, you know, a black person who's got a chip on her shoulder and wants some affirmative action. Instead of us looking at each other like that, we black Americans, no offense to those who've immigrated here since and are actual African-Americans. I got nothing against anybody. I'm just talking about the, the Ann Coulter's of America and the Stacey Washington's of America Instead of knocking each other, we should really be linking arms and saying, this is our country. We need to own not just the history, but the future of this country, which involves black Americans and white Americans and immigrants, but should not involve illegal immigrants over over large numbers of refugees. I mean, there's there's got to be a place where we can come together and say, you know what, we do need to protect this thing together. 
Yes, that's right. And also the special the special place black Americans have in in American history, it shouldn't be cheapened by stuffing immigrants into it. As you say, no offense to immigrants, but I'm sorry, you have to go in the the white pile here. African Americans have a very special history in America, and and white Americans feel solicitous. um, Like I say, um, I've said many times, black Americans, you can tell us what words to say, what words we can't say, fine, make rules all day long, um, fine. But when a new group comes in, you know, come on. Immigrants have always been a little bit, um, not horribly ridiculed, but they used to call, you know, the Polish Bohonks. Um, the Irish had a bad one. Right, <laughs> necks and potato heads. Come on, that is something different. Yeah, okay, maybe it's not always nice. But if, you were not, if your descendants were not brought here on slave ships, I don't want to hear it. Everybody's had descendants with, you know, this problem or that problem. The only problem that America, our country, owes um, a group for is to African Americans because of the legacy of slavery. Um, we don't know anybody else. We will be nice to you if you're an immigrant. You come and you assimilate. Love you. Glad to have you here. Um, but don't attach yourself to the black cause in America. And that's what I think people have forgotten with this whole diversity thing, where it's just, you know, everybody gets affirmative action. Everybody gets to boss white Americans around. No, no, I'll, I'll be bossed around, but only by African Americans. So... Now, that being said, and, and I, I, I defy anyone who's listening in the audience because one of the accusations that's regularly lobbed at you is that you're a racist. That doesn't sound like racist talk to me. That, that sounds like someone who actually looked it up, researched it, and you have a grip on the facts that is unassailable. And so if there's, a, if there's criticism, let it be about what she has said, not that Ann Coulter's a racist or that I'm some kind of sellout for talking to Ann Coulter. I've already seen all those tweets and I'm over it. This is a conversation about the shared brotherhood that exists between black Americans and white Americans and why it's special and why it belongs between us. So now we just have like maybe four minutes left. And I do I I'm telling you, Anne, we'd have to talk for hours because I keep finding things in the book. So I finished it and I can't get over how completely you dismantled every single person that has anything to do with this bogus sham of an investigation that's going on against the president. So does it go anywhere? Where does it go anywhere? And, and, and for all you trolls who are in the comments, I see you. Thanks for coming by. Read the book. Only comment if you read the book. Now, how, does it go anywhere? And does this actually go anywhere? <laughs> That'll shut them up. They don't know. like to I'm read so these liberals. <laughs> they don't like to read. They're, they don't, they never read the books. They're always commenting, but they've never read anything. I, I actually think it would be more fun if they would read it because then they wouldn't have any comments because there's no way you can go against the tail end of your book is like 20 pages of just notes and references of where you got all the info from. If you can go through all that and still have a problem. Well, I mean, they're better than me. So does the investigation go anywhere? Does does this actually because I'm, I'm so sick of it. I'm exhausted by it. But it's still I going know. On. I think most Americans approach to it is probably right, which is they hear Russia and change the channel. Um, no, there's nothing to the Russian collusion, Trump. Um, I'm, 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 I get testy with him for not building the wall. Uh, but I must say, he has a beautiful way of just summarizing an enormous thorny problem with a few words. The swamp, the fake media, and 
no collusion. Um, no, it's a crackpot theory. What they wanted was some independent counsel. We just got to get an independent counsel who will tear Trump and all of his friends and associates inside out, just searching for a crime, searching for a crime. There's got to be something there. Um, I, I cite a book, Three Felonies a Day, by I think his name is Harvey Silverglade, um, the argument of which is anyone, the most law-abiding American, paying your taxes, um, you know, you're good to your kids, take care of your wife. Um, could be inadvertently committing three felonies a day because there are so many federal <laughs> felonies on the books. We don't even know how many. There are so many. There have been attempts to count them, and everyone has given up in despair. So if you look hard enough at anyone, you're going to find something. Um, I think a lot of people aren't, aren't blown away that, that Manafort and, and Cohen were two of the first to be, to be found on some little tax irregularities. Um, but, but this isn't how the rule of law works. There is supposed to be evidence of a crime, then an investigation, then the suspects. You don't start with suspects and then put very talented and extremely determined prosecutors just, just going through a, sing, a person's life with a fine-tooth comb trying to find something. That's starting to get a little bit out of hand, and I think there may come a point where Trump, and he has full constitutional authority um, to call off this nonsense, to fire Mueller. I don't think he should do it right now, um, but, but I think we're getting pretty close to that point. Before the election, do you think, or...? Not before the election. I mean, at this point, one, one advantage of the media being hysterical over every little thing, I mean, it really doesn't matter what Trump does. Take this McCain thing this week. Um, they were obviously rather bitter political opponents. Um, Trump gives a not particularly sentimental, but just, you know, straightforward sympathy to the family tweet in response to, to McCain's death. And the media is absolutely hysterical. Well, okay, suppose he had given a, a, a saccharine tweet about, oh, the heroic straight talking I always admire. Well, then they'd go crazy because it's, it's so insincere and it's such a lie. Um, one of my favorite examples from the book, it goes a while back, but it just makes me laugh. Um, during Hurricane Harvey, Trump pardoned Sheriff Joe Arpaio. And the media headlines were, which I cite there, were um, Trump buries pardon in, in the middle of a hurricane. Trump uses hurricane to, to, to slip out bad news from the White House. Mm, we're um, up against Trump the break. Trump responds to this by saying, wait, aren't ratings higher during a hurricane? And then we get around to the headline saying, Trump likes ratings as reason, reason to, to, All right. to we, run our buyout. You can't win with them. I know, we can't win, but we always win with you. And thank you so much for your time today. We'll be back with more Stacey on the Right right after these important messages.